City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to a 2023 edition of Inside the Hive. We are back after a couple of weeks off over the Christmas, New Year holiday period as I'm going to, I'm going to keep pushing the holiday term here. I know Americans will probably giggle when I say holiday and I should stick to vacation, but we're back. Um, Chase, how was your Christmas? It was very good. It was a nice, you know, like week week and a half period to do nothing pretty much just kind of sit around the house watch basketball hang out with friends and family spend time at home it, it felt very nice nice to recharge the batteries a little bit but now uh, know, um, we're back to real life i want to know what was the single best thing you ate over the over the break what was the single like funnest activity you did it can be a board game it can be a family game like um and then like i don't I don't know. I don't know. Well, how was the drunkest you got? And I don't know your drinking habits now. So you can be you can be honest or you can lie there, right? So those are my three questions for you. Uh, okay. So the best thing I ate, my mom makes a very, very good uh, Brussels sprout casserole. That was delicious. It's like my favorite like a br- side. Your favorite thing involves Brussels sprouts. Oh, I love I love Brussels sprouts. That might be a this weird is the thing hottest take you've I ever love had. Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I love I I eat them. I could eat them raw. Uh, th- okay, what? This is a fu- I'll I'll keep this short. But this is a funny story <laughs> about uh, childhood me. I went trick or treating once. Uh, I was probably like t- eight to ten years old. Uh, and down the street for me is like this fe- farm that grows vegetables and fruits and flowers and all that. And as a joke, the guy at the door was like, "Oh, we only have this stock of Brussels sprouts. We don't have any candy night. Sorry." <laughs> And me and my brother just grabbed it and started eating them like raw and like walking away being like, okay, thanks. See you later. Uh, So even as a kid, I was like totally into like raw Brussels sprouts, which most people would view as the worst vegetable, like even when cooked well. But I don't know. I've loved them in in all forms since I was a small child. So you you really do. But yeah, that Brussels sprout casserole, easily my favorite like side dish for the holiday season. Love okay, I, I was not expecting that. Okay, uh, next thing, favorite favorite moment, game, activity you did? Hmm. See, I very see my favorite thing probably. <laughs> this is probably I do. I like doing nothing around the holidays. So my favorite thing was uh, on New Year's Eve. My girlfriend and I spent a lot of money on takeout for a Chinese food restaurant and got like a bunch of like lo mein and pork buns and soup dumplings and green, mm. like garlic, green beans and a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so that, I mean, that, that was my, my favorite time. We just kind of sat around the house and drank and ate Chinese food and then fell asleep probably like 20 minutes before midnight. So. Very good. And did you, uh, did you have a drink this holiday? Uh, other than that, honestly, not really. I'm not a, a huge drinker like to begin with. Um, but the I this year we had to like travel on Christmas morning uh from Canada where my family girlfriend's family's from to back to Maine where my family lives. So I didn't really get to do all that much on Christmas Eve in terms of uh consumption. But what what about you? What you you answer those three questions for uh for yourself. What was your favorite thing that you ate? What is like the traditional uh Christmas look like over there for our it's uh, uh, it's like that might not t- know. turkey, like roast dinner, but with a turkey, like generally. Okay. 
Uh, pigs and blankets. I, is that a term you know? Like yeah. the hot dogs wrapped in the croissants. Mm-hmm. That that is like my favorite. Like uh, tailgating, well, hold on. Like you said, hot dogs, wa- uh, sausage wrapped in bacon. That's what I mean. Did you describe oh. something different? Okay, yeah. So in America, I've maybe this is different, like regionally, but we're out in New England. It's like the like mini hot dogs that are probably like a couple inches long, wrapped in like uh, croissant bread, and then baked in the oven. So they're like okay mini hot dogs kind of but not with like I see what you mean. similar similar theory but yeah it's just basically sausage wrapped in bacon which yeah, is just that actually that actually sounds really good too <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I might good. i might prefer that yeah yeah it's good um oh, that's my siri who's just uh decided to start talking to me we sorry about that listen <laughs> yeah <laughs> we should have siri one day on an mm-hmm. ai and just ask some questions about this um so that was my favorite so that was dinner i, I cooked a beef wellington which was great i was i was very happy with my beef wellington a lot of pressure cooking a beef wellington expensive piece of beef a lot of people around the table you cut into it is it going to be medium rare and it was so that was good uh favorite game we, we're uh i stayed at my in-laws for all christmas and they're a big like board game family so like i, I don't know if you are but if anyone listening we played all sorts of games from from rummy curb uh ticket to ride uh we got the u.s version actually which was good fun um, what else? Settlers of Catan. That's a kind of a big one that people probably heard of. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, we did a we did a whole bunch of games. I did very poorly, um, <laughs> which which I was really get grating on me until the last day of the holiday. I pulled it back a little bit. So um, and then drink wise, I had some some lemon gin, which I managed to polish off a bottle with my uh, sister in law. Now uh, we managed to do the whole bottle in the night and. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle the next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can but imagine. It was Gin very enjoyable. has like a very like hangover-ish effect on people. It's like the, the taste of it just feels like you're in the morning. Like it's yeah, going to drain it was, all, the, all the hydration. It was a slow you. start the next day. Let's put it yeah. that way. Um, yeah, I apparently when I like had, apparently like we had, the TV was on after I'd had this bottle of gin and I was about to go to bed and I saw an advert for Comedy Central Uh and it had all these like Christmas movies it was showing. So it was showing like uh, Little Nicky, uh, Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo, like all these like 90s comedy like movies. And apparently I just like lost my mind. And I went and recorded like 15 different movies on their like DVR box thing. Um, and like I had no recollection. And in the morning I was like, why have we recorded all these random 90s <laughs> movies? And they're like, that was you. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you like got these a little nostalgic like, uh, uh, yeah. at the end of the night. <laughs> I did. I did um yeah so i had a great break um i'm feeling refreshed um and i'm looking forward to talking about hornets here and we'll, we'll get on to some hornets talk now in today's episode we're going to be talking kelly Oubre injury which broke today just before we start recording so thank you uh for for breaking that news just beforehand cody martin is also listed as questionable for the memphis game tomorrow night so that's also interesting we're going to touch on that then we're going to be looking at Gordon Hayward, Terry's here. Ooh, it's it's been a good Christmas for me and you. It hasn't been for them, especially on the court, right? They've they've both been really struggling recently. So we're going to look at trying of what we've seen and, and why we think it is, and do we think this is a phase? Do we think this is just how these guys are going to be from now on? We're going to touch on that, and then finally, we we've been waiting to crack out the segment all year. Mark Williams, he's emerging, right? Mark Williams is now in the Hornets rotation. And has looked fabulous. So we'll we'll wax lyrical about Mark Williams later in the podcast. Um, but let's get us going. Today it's reported Kelly Oubre out four to six weeks with torn ligaments in his left hand. Um, I guess we we shocked when you saw this kind of come across the timeline today, Chase. And what are your thoughts? Um, I wouldn't say I was shocked. I guess I was like slightly surprised that uh, he ended up needing surgery on it because the way that uh, it had kind of just been not re- or reported on and the way that he just kind of seemed had to feel about it uh, whenever he talked about the injury was that it was more of a thing that he could manage and wouldn't have to sit out from or miss like extended time necessarily um, but yeah, I guess I mean if you tear a ligament in your hand that's obviously something that's going to affect the way you play pretty significantly uh, so I don't necessarily blame him for opting for surgery eventually and just being like he'll I'll take the four to six weeks on the sideline right now and then trade that for a healthy stretch run down the year because he should be back by the all-star break or the trade deadline period around there i think february 9th is the exact uh like there's like five weeks from now or something like that so yeah we'll have to see 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, right? I think Steve Clifford had said that the only way it will improve is if he stops playing. And that, this is when it was reported to be a handspring. That was the original report. I think a lot of people are using this as more ammunition to criticise Hornets medical side because, oh, you know, Cody Martin was a, what was it, a quad strain, became a knee surgery. Gordon Hayward, a shoulder strain, became a fractured scapula. Um, Lamelo Ball coming back, you know, say basically saying came back too early. Uh, and now you've got Calibri had a hand sprain that turned into torn ligaments. Um, while it's, there's a, there's a couple, I don't think it's that simple, basically. I, I don't think you can just lob this in with some of those other things. I think this is a little bit more complex than some of them. So firstly, it wouldn't surprise me if Kelly had had these torn ligaments like all along. So I, I know like it was a sprain, but, and and the Hornets knew that those ligaments were torn. I don't think they just discovered it. I think, what likely they've done is just report it as a hand sprain because that's what happens in the NBA. Teams report things as foot sprains, hand sprains all the time when there's there's ligament damage or finger sprains or, you know, things like that. When basically what they, because they know if as soon as they put torn ligaments in there, it'll get picked up as a new story, right? Torn ligaments is more of a, ooh, he's going to be out a while than something like a hand sprain, which people think, oh, you can play through a sprain, right? So, I do wonder if there's a little bit of like PR control there and like they rested it for a week or so. It wasn't getting better. And, and Kelly Oubre's just decided to, to kind of get the surgery. But I do wonder also there was a moment he, he, he rested a game and then he came in and he, I don't know if you saw the replay, but he hit the ground pretty hard and he really jammed that left hand uh, in one of the recent games on the West coast road trip. And it wouldn't surprise me that if there were already like a mild injury there or like a strained ligament and that play specifically when it was already in pain, I don't know, ruptured something further or, or kind of made whatever was like manageable pain and made the tear uh, even worse. So I don't think we can rule that out. And since that moment happened, he has not played a single minute. That's when he left the game. Basically after that, they said he re-aggravated it, but maybe he didn't just re-aggravate it. Maybe he made it a little bit worse. So I think there's a, a few things going on here. But yeah, if it's the classic, they thought it was a sprain and they just found out yesterday that it was a torn ligament, that is a bit concerning because it has been bothering him for a while. But I, again, I seem to doubt that that's the way they, they've played out. They will have had all the scans available to them, all the specialists will have probably looked at it already. I don't think they've waited however many months for to, to, for them to see those, get those scans and see the specialists to suddenly be able to see it now. So I think one of the things that a lot of people are going to go right to or jump right to when they saw this news was like the possibilities of Kelly Oubre getting traded because yep. at this point, any type of veteran player that is not basically not anybody that's not on their rookie contract that showed promise is probably going to be on the trade market for the Hornets uh, come February. But Kelly Oubre was a prime candidate for that. Do you think that this hurts like the chances that he gets moved at all? Because it seems like a lot of people are leaning that way, but I kind of think it's the opposite. Like if he's getting this surgery now, presumably he's going to get traded to a team that's like good and that wants an upgrade in shooting, scoring and defense on the wing. Not so, like a team that's also rebuilding or also tanking and is trading for an expiring contract. Like that, it seems like this would be, improving his chances at if at getting traded or the likelihood that he gets traded because now he's going to be healthy to for whatever team trades for him and they can actually use him down the stretch in the playoffs without worrying about some lingering injury that's been there for you know at, at that point what would be like nine months so what, what do you think about that i agree with you um i, I would rather hear i would rather i actually thought about tweeting this the other day and then i thought don't do it that if they if they like shut Kelly Oubre down, that that maybe like makes it more likely they're gonna they're gonna trade him. You know, if by playing through it, if his shooting numbers had really really dipped, um, if you know if he was playing poorly leading up to the deadline, I think that could be more impactful on his trade value than if he just shuts it down now. When like I know the shooting hasn't been great, but hey, now you've got this reason he's been playing with this spraying left hand which for him is his shooting hand since the start of the year it's understandable to think that could have some impact on your shooting numbers that you know he's now going to have those 
pretty good stats. The last time, you know, if they look at tape from him this year, they're going to see Kelly playing pretty well on both ends. Um, so I agree with that. I I also think like if Hayward had stayed healthy, which we don't know, like hey, Gordon Hayward is currently listed as doubtful for tomorrow night, which suggests that there's some world where he like might not be out too long. Like Kelly would probably be playing like 20 to 25 minutes per game. And would his, again, his numbers would probably take a dip. So I think having him healthy for that time definitely helps at the time of the trade deadline, which I think is February 9th. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I do think is more unlikely he's traded before the deadline, which is always like, there's always one or two deals between kind of now and the deadline that get done. I don't think any team is going to trade for him until they know the surgery's gone, when they're roughly going to come back. But I agree with you. Teams trading for Kelly Oubre are looking for a wing to play in the playoffs. That's what they are searching for. And to not have him for like a week or two around the trade deadline because he's still recovering from a, a, a surgery in his finger, I just don't think that will impact too much. And if anything, he'll be like fresher body-wise. Like, and yes, there'll be him having to get some rhythm back, but he can get that back in the end of the regular season after the trade deadline. So uh, I agree. I think it actually helps. And like part of me also thinks that maybe Kelly could have played through this if it has been torn the whole time. And him and the team kind of came to an agreed decision. Like the season isn't going how we want it. Kelly, you know, we want to move you to a, maybe a contender at some point. We don't want you out there battling. We want to give some minutes to the young guys with the way the season's going. This could be, the real first kind of move where the Hornets front office is stepping in and doing some stealth tank here, where so we, we better get that surgery, even though it's not absolutely necessary. And I said source, this is just me speculating, but you know, you start to put these pieces of the pie together. You know, Steve Clifford said just the other day, we need to find minutes for Mark Williams and Nick Richards. We have to find a way to do that to, for them both to play again. Like that's another piece of the pie. Well, how are you going to do that? Cliff twin towers, you're going to play like, like, or you're going to be playing Mason Plumlee left or less or resting him on back to backs. Or, you know, these, you start to add these pieces of the puzzle together. And another thing Steve Clifford said the other night was um, he kind of said about the LA Lakers. And it was, if you, you have to really watch the, the pregame interview to get this, he said, they're like us right now. They're battling to hang in there. And this stretch of games is key to them. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. To me, what that means is, like we need to win these games as much as the Lakers do, because if we don't win this stretch of games, we're out of it. That's how I interpreted it. And like we, we lost the Lakers. We are recording this before the Memphis game. After that, we think we play the Bucks. It, it's not looking like we're going to have a good start here. So I do wonder if the organizations, this is a signal they're beginning to take that shift a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about this, a couple podcasts ago that like the time period where the Hornets, I mean, and this is perspective is always a little bit different for fans than it is for the front office and coaches and players and whatnot. But the time period for when the Hornets needed to go on a run and start ripping off some wins. And when it became kind of out of the question as whether or not they'd be a playoff caliber team for us has probably already passed. But if, I mean, if it's becoming apparent for Steve Clifford, then you know, it's definitely going to start swinging in that direction sometime soon unless things turn around, which, you know, it's already on the way to not doing so. This four-game road trip coming up with the Bucks, Pacers, and a back-to-back against Toronto. And then a back-to-back against, or two-game series with Toronto, and then a two-game series at home with Boston after that. So, I mean, you can't really pick out that many wins coming up on the schedule through mid-January. Uh, They just lost Kelly Oubre. Uh, Cody Martin is coming back, hopefully, pretty soon, like we said. But, uh, I mean, it's just not looking uh, in the direction of, you know, it's not looking like it's going to change direction here anytime soon for the Hornets, unfortunately. I agree. Um, I I did think if they were able to get back healthy, that for the second half of the season, they could, like, go 500 or so. Like, if if they really hit their rhythm and they could kind of you know, linger to get another 20 wins or so and move them to like the, the 30s. With with these injuries, you know, Hayward going down, Ubre now going down. And just generally, I, I just don't see that happening now. And I was even thinking they could maybe do that in the last couple of weeks, but just these last two more injuries, just when you start to feel like you get guys back with Dennis Smith Jr., Cody Martin, it just feels like it's, it's never going to stop. And I, I think the team are slowly making that pivot. 
Um, do you think, what a percentage chance do you think it is that Ubre is moved at the deadline? Like, I, I do see a world where he could be back next year. I know Miles Bridges' situation is still out there in the ether. I mean, since we last spoke, it was reported that the Hornets are, are working towards a deal uh, reported by Wodge. Uh, and, you know, that's something that me and you had been expecting and waiting for, basically, for the entire season. Uh, now, interesting, Kyle Bailey of WFNZ had a report out today that the Hornets are not in contract talks uh, with Miles Bridges and that that was leaked by Clutch, which is a, an interesting uh, report to, to hear. Now, I mean, I, I put my thoughts on Twitter and I, I wonder if it was leaked by Clutch why Shams wouldn't report it because Shams is the, the Clutch guy and Wodge is generally a little bit less spokesperson for for Clutch. Um, but but Kyle isn't someone who just throws stuff out there like we've seen some of these guys in the past we've talked about. You know, Kyle, if he puts something out there as a report, I pay more attention to it than to a lot of the other accounts out there. So it, interesting to hear that conflicting view. Maybe the NBA investigation took a certain turn since the 23rd when it was initially reported, and, and that's impacted things. But with, you've got Miles Bridges, you've got free agents. Do you think Kelly Oubre played his way back into potential for being back in Charlotte, not just later this season, but in a, in a future multi-year deal? I actually do. That was something I was thinking about as well in regards to what it, this means that he was having the surgery now and what the timing of it might mean uh, for the future, like going into the trade deadline or going into the offseason. If he's taking you know this kind of like mid-season period off for four to six weeks, well over a month uh, at minimum, does that kind of signify that there's some sort of agreement like, hey, you can, you know, sit the midseason, you can come back, work your way back down the stretch, and then we're more than open to, you know, making a competitive offer for you on the free agent market. We want to keep you around. We really like what you showed in the first half of the year, even with this torn ligament in your hand. Like, he was still a very effective player, which I think says a lot about Kelly Oubre. Like, people should give him a lot of credit for how good he was. And like the type of load that he handled, especially offensively with an injured shooting hand for so long uh, at the start of the year when LaMelo and Hayward and Terry Rozier and Cody Martin and Dennis Smith, like every other player basically except for him and Jalen McDaniels were in and out of the lineup every game. Uh, I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for fighting through that for as long as he did. But I mean, I definitely think that there's a chance that this is like some sort of like, hey, we're going to wave the white flag a little bit uh, proverbially here. Uh, we'll give you four to six weeks to have surgery, get healthy. You can come back and, you know, we'll, you know, at least make some sort of offer that you'll f be worth uh, fielding in free agency rather yeah. than just kind of letting him cut, cut him loose and let him go. Well, firstly, I, th I think Steve Clifford likes him. I think that's Absolutely. really clear. He's got him playing much better defense this year than last. Um I think one thing that was maybe unexpected when Hubre signed was that he's actually emerged as a bit of a leader in the team. Like you hear the young players talk about like, oh, you know, Kelly just talks to me and keeps me level-headed. And, you know, like that's something that maybe when Hubre came to Charlotte, people thought he's maybe a little bit immature, right? He'd got that reputation in Washington and Phoenix and, and didn't fit in in Golden State. But here he seems to be someone that like, like I've heard Bryce McGowan's, I've heard Mark Williams say they really look up to and has helped him. And this this team is blessed with veteran voices. And if he is having that effect and impact and he's a popular guy in the locker room, I, th I think that helps. And I also think Gordon Hayward's struggles, which we're going to come on to later, that also might point to it. Because if the team decide we just got to move off Gordon Hayward, then you have a real gap at small forward. And, you know, th there's a couple of names out there in free agency like a couple of names I like better than Kelly. Straight away, Dylan Brooks. Like my number one, basically, free agent target for this summer for Charlotte would be Dylan Brooks. They just need a wing defender. Um, so he's he's my number one. Gary Trent Jr., probably going to opt out of his player option, I would think. And like maybe Harrison Barnes, but even then he's getting a bit old and lost a step. But like if you can get like Brooks or Trent, okay, like would be happily move on from Kelly. If... But if you're not going to be in the running for those guys for one reason or another, then you need to have someone at small four that isn't just Jalen McDaniels. And yes, we have to wait for the draft, but they they need some size. They need some you know length on the wing. And and, Ke and Kelly just does do that. So 
I mean, let's put it on a percentage chance then. What are you? I know it's early, but we're not going to, you know, nothing's going to change with Kelly Oubre with how he's playing because of this injury surgery, right? Up until the trade deadline. So what, what percentage are you putting on the likelihood that Kelly Oubre is traded? Uh, I'll go 40. I'll just go flat 40% right now. Definitely not quite 50 50, but still a fairly high chance, I think, that yeah, it's at least explored. I, I can't imagine there's going to be no reports of, you know, Team X uh, is rumored to be interested in Kelly Oubre Jr., uh, mm. is willing to wait out his injury situation and see how things go after that. Um, but I, I, I don't know if it's like, likely necessarily that he gets traded yeah what about you i'm probably right around a similar number i i had 30 to 35 percent in my head right so i'll i'll split the difference there go 32 and a half like i just just because the team generally seemed to be a little bit less active on the deadline that they never seem to trade away the expiring who everyone knows is going like it just doesn't seem to be something this team seems to do that often so um I'll go a little bit less, but I like I say I, I I saw some people being like, "Well, there's Kelly Oubre's trade value destroyed." I'm like, "No, I I disagree with that." If anything, I actually think it's maybe improved. So, um, in terms of who picks up minutes, Jalen McDaniel's is going to probably step in and take the minutes, especially like Gordon Hayward is injured, right? Then McDaniel's will start. Who else do you want to see it? Maybe like those backup wing minutes instead of instead of that like Oubre would normally have. Uh, I, I think the only player that is really going to get a potential increase in minutes or some, a shot to stick in the rotation is Bryce McGowan. So I, I, I can't really – I mean, because so many of those minutes are just going to go to Jalen McDaniels, and then Cody Martin is coming back mm. pretty soon as well. So he's going to eat up a pretty big chunk of those. So I, I could maybe see McGowan's getting a shot here in the short term to play like more minutes uh, in per game than he has really in any other stretch uh, so far in his rookie year, but – I think Cody Martin's going to eat up a lot of those, hopefully, anyway, pretty soon. Yeah, I, I agree. I think those those two. Um, I, I'm kind of interested if he like tries to play with JT Thor. I, I don't think he will because he's just not shown enough offensively to be able to play in the wing. But like in certain matchups, I could see that. But you know what, Chase? You're not going to believe what I'm going to say right here. Part of me just thinks at this stage and this season – with like everything that is the disaster that everything has gone wrong. Maybe we just need to find out what James Book and I has. <laughs> I mean, it, it's worth a shot. It's definitely not the the worst idea. I mean, I like, I think Bryce McGowan's is a much better player and prospect. Um, but at some point, like, is there any better position to try and play James Book Knight for another 15, 20 games and just say, Hey, like Bryce, we, we really like you. Okay. You know, but you've already played quite a few games in your two-way contract, and we have this first-round pick, and we we just need to see like if he reasserts himself in a different manner and his ability to find something to have like some positive momentum to build on. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not kind of like being a massive proponent of it, but I do just wonder if the team would go that way. Um, I I don't think they could play him at three. I think there's be more like a two. I like McGowan's can play some three. That's why I actually think it will be McGowan's getting the most minutes. But like you said, McGowan's, Cody Martin, I expect them to absorb most of the minutes. Okay, we're going to hit a quick advert break here from our partners at DraftKings. And then we're going to come back and analyze Terror's ear, Gordon Hayward's struggles in recent weeks, and Mark Williams' emotions. So we will speak to you after the break. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out right now. Everyone, you can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay and combine multiple bets, which team will win, total rebounds, loads more. The bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. A couple of things I'm looking at, especially with the Hornets now they're getting healthy. I'm looking at unders generally across the board, especially some of the guys like PJ Washington, Kelly Oubre, Terry Their game's going to be changing. Their role's going to be changing. So try 
Try and pair a couple of those unders together, like Terrazier. Assists are probably going to dip down a little bit. Ubre's points going to go down. So try and pair a few of those together over the next couple of weeks. So to do that, download the app now. Sign up with the code TBPN and place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on an any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Please see the show notes for details. So Chase, West Coast road trip. Wasn't a good one for Gordon Hayward and Terry Zier. Um, They've both really struggled. Hayward since coming back from his shoulder. Um, Rozier just just generally across the board. Um, how how worried are you on the worry meter about each of these players? Who, who worries you more? Let's start with them. Um, first of all, I don't know if I'm super like worried in the long term about either one of them. In the short term, it's definitely worrying if you know you're someone that wants to watch the Charlotte Hornets win games and generally be competitive and a competent, especially on offense on a nightly basis. But mm, that's actually tough. I would, I honestly, I think I would say Terry just because there's no, like for me, I, I think it's very clear that Gordon Hayward broke his shoulder and then everything kind of like, in the shooting percentage department anyway, and then everything kind of fell off of a cliff. He had, I think, four 20-point games in that first stretch uh, before he first got hurt, and then he broke his shoulder. And then ever since then, especially, I think it was highlighted uh, in the Lakers game and against the Nets, he just has not been able to put any sort of touch on his shots at all. He's shooting a. You want to you want to hear me to read off his shooting splits right now? This is it's not it's not pretty. I've got, I've got some for you too. So yeah, let me hear him. Okay, he forty two point three percent from the field is the second lowest of his career. Thirty percent from three is the lowest of his career. This is what really makes me think that this is just like clearly affected by his shoulder. Seventy six point six percent from the free throw line. That is also the second lowest of his career. There was like two seasons ago. He was at 50, 40, 90 for like a good portion of the early season. Like players just don't lose shooting ability like that. Like it doesn't just go away like magically over the course of two years. uh, And then all of a sudden, like some guy just can't score anymore. Like I think that this shoulder injury is clearly hampering his ability to create any sort of shot and then hit that shot with any consistency. Uh, His shooting is really really poor as a result of that he doesn't have any ability to like muscle through defenders and create those shots in tight quarters and get to the rim at the same way that he did the last couple years before that uh and it's just been quite a tough road uh, for Hayward but for Rozier there's no like upper body injury that that has been hindering him necessarily he hasn't been able to get into rhythm he's missed some time from an ankle injury at the beginning of the year uh, and then missed I think two games because of an illness uh after that um uh, he it's just been like rock bottom shooting like another 31.3% lowest of his since his rookie season uh the improved mid-range scoring which was like one of the biggest like marks of player development uh that we've seen under the hornets in the last like 5 years that has completely sank back to below 40% like back to his boston levels before early charlotte levels before he became like a really good mid-range scorer 27th percentile and rim field goal percentage per cleaning the glass like at no number is really good for either one of these guys right now but i mean to, in, in my view like one of them has bro- a broken bone in their shoulder which would obviously affect the shooting the other one just kind of hasn't been able to find any sort of rhythm even though they've had plenty of opportunity so i think at least right now the one that worries me a little more is, is terry well, let, let's go with Gordon first, because I know that's who you kind of, you ran through. I mean, I just think this is a unmitigated disaster, this Gordon Hayward contract. And I, I I was one of the proponents who said it was from day one. I remember we debated it, right? And um, the good years were the first two years. That was always the thing, right? Well, he's going to be, whatever, 34 by the time the contract finishes. And well, if you can get a good first two years, well, we're now into year three. His, his ankles... Are a mess, you know. Sprained ankles, the the breaks he had, 
He's now got this fractured shoulder. He's now got a, like a strained hamstring. It's just that you there's just no way you can ever rely on this guy. And I I know the there is a reason for the the shooting slippages, um, but it just feels like there's always going to be a reason. There's always going to be an injury that he is having to manage, that he's having to come back from, that he's having to build up strength with, and that's how it feels. And I mean, like you said, the numbers are just down across the board. Like above the break threes. Last year, Gordon Hayward shot 38% on three and a half attempts per game. This year, same number of attempts. He's shooting 25%. I mean, you're talking to someone being like a good above the break shooter, just someone like he shouldn't even be taking them. Um, and then even from the corners, like this year, he's actually shooting it pretty well from the corners, like 55% from the corners. You think that's good, but he's getting half the number of attempts compared to last year. So he's like not getting to the areas of the floor that he's efficient um, and then like the number of his number of paint attempts is down, which is normally a big kind of like flag of someone who's worried about like getting hit and getting hit at the rim. And especially with that shoulder, I think that is something that's affecting him. I mean, in that Lakers game, he had three layups where he just like left it short, left Bunny short. And he's always had like some bad misses, Gordon, but it, there were just been some, been some really bleak minutes over the last month or two where like if Gordon Hayward was a free agent at the end of this year, and he stopped playing now. I was thinking last night, does Gordon Hayward get, what, the, the mid-level exception? I, I don't think he could get more than that. Like, And you're due to pay him $30 million this year, $30 million next year. Um, like, For me, if you can find a way to get off him at the trade deadline without taking on long-term money, without giving up picks, I do it. And I, I'm already working on something around... Kevin Love, which is something I'm going to be writing about at allhornets.com because the Cavs need wing help. Kevin Love is on a one-year expiring deal where Gordon has two left. This hamstring injury puts a, you know, this was before Gordon really was struggling like in the last five to ten games. I was thinking this, you know, I, I didn't think they're doing that trade right now with how things are going. But yeah, it's, it's a real concern with Gordon Hayward. And I'm beginning to wonder if this team are just thinking, this this is not guy like how, can we really can the team can the front office really talk themselves into well if he just gets healthy next year then like how many times can we do this i mean i th- that's definitely fair but to the same degree like he is he's good when he does play like and i think that like what we said with the shooting percentages like to me he's at 25% above the break you're right that he shouldn't be taking them he broke his shoulder. He should be sitting on the bench, but he came back and he fought through it like everyone else. But for whatever reason, I feel like he just doesn't get the same like type of credit for that type of thing from the fan base, even though it's literally the same thing as what Kelly Oubre is doing. It's just not, you know, showing itself in the same way. He's hurt more often. He's like a little older. Uh, I, th- I really do. Th- he was when he was healthier at the beginning of the year. He opened the season 20 points, game two, 26 points, game four, 21 points, game six, 23 points. Like, and then he got hurt. And obviously that's the idea is that he keeps getting hurt. But I, I, you can't like at one point, like you could just not keep, you could just stop getting hurt. Like plenty of players no. have. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely can. You, no, you definitely can't. can. You can't. Yeah. You definitely can. <laughs> That's what you definitely can come back from like having injury periods. And it's not like he's been injured like the entire, his entire career. And he always comes back early too. That's another thing is why that's probably why he keeps getting injured is because he's always like coming back, you know, he, like he came back early from his original leg injury. He came back early from a sprained ankle in the bubble from the Celtics. Uh, He came back early from that like finger injury or whatever it was he said he didn't even like miss a game after like breaking his finger in practice like the day before the season started uh he tried to come back early this year from that shoulder injury and evidently it got worse when he fell down and that now it's you know rearing its head in a much uglier way uh i mean and i also just don't i've 30 million dollars is what it used to be either like there there are going to be plenty of players in a couple years that make like that much money that it's just kind of like dwarfed anyway and i i feel i also feel like it hasn't prevented them from doing anything like i don't know like what are the, the you have to spend your money somehow like what the hornets having the most cap space every summer between when they would have when they had signed him and now instead of having gordon hayward i don't think it really does like makes the I, team that it makes the team different i don't think it makes them any better or puts I mean, them in we, any sort of we won't rehash the last three years 
no, I do no, yeah. I, I do disagree. I mean, I I think Gordon Hayward helped launch them into a sense of where they felt they were close, which is where the Hornets always. That, to end I up think on that the they the have plan. felt that way for the better part of like fifteen years. I don't think that there was really ever a period more than a twelve months where they didn't feel that way. Because the very first year they rebuilt, they were way better than they thought, and they got lucky and got Lamelo, and then it's like, all right, here we go. Like it's you know, it's kind of the same sort of mentality that they had before except this time they actually had like reason to think that obviously the thing with, that's the thing with the nba too is sometimes things just don't work out like and they just don't work out like not it's not like anyone's reason or not like anyone's fault or any specific reason or anything you can avoid i think this is one of those things like i, I th- think that's a risk that the hornets have to take is like signing a player that yeah maybe he could get hurt but he also could be good it's just never the risk i would take for, for, for me, like on the, on the, the team development path and, and everything. But uh, I mean, I mean, the other thing here is the defense, which like this Hornets team is terrible defensively. He plays small forward. He is having like PJ Washington had to guard LeBron James through the night. And you're, you know, then you're sticking Gordon Hayward on your four. Like it's, it's a real challenge defensively with Gordon Hayward out there. We're just talking like if Gordon Hayward isn't helping you in offense, then like you're, you're, you're really screwed. Um, so that's that's definitely a concern. Um, I, for me, the only way that he could ever like stay not hurt is if he doesn't play back to backs and he plays like eighteen minutes a night for a contender, and they just focus on we just want to keep you healthy. We're going to wrap you in bubble wrap, but on the Hornets, we're just not good enough for him to be able to do that because that that's he's, not he's, his fault. No, it's it's <laughs> not. But that, that's why it was a I get I get what you're saying. Strange but... move in the first place because you're yeah. you're taking a guy who needed to be treated like Kawhi Leonard essentially but you're in a you're in a position where you can't yeah no that, that definitely makes sense um Terry's here so you are more concerned about Terry I'm guessing yeah. one of the reasons is because he's got I don't know four years left than this extension that he got which within the last 12 months um which I I actually wanted to go back and listen at the time and how we felt in the extension I think I think our thoughts were kind of agreed that it was a little bit too rich. We can see why they did it because he would have hit free agency and he would have got serious money and they would have left. He probably would have left to go elsewhere. Um, that we didn't hate it, but we don't know if we'd have done the move. I think that was my recollection of like the Terry's ear extension. I, I mean, I do feel a little bit sorry for Terry because he's gone from like having to do everything on ball in that period where have all the injuries, whereas now his role has just changed so many times and he's now trying to reacclimatize playing with Lamelo. Um, and the, I mean, the big thing, if you look at the numbers, what, what was the thing that Terry was best at last year? It was coming off screens. It was shooting threes. You look at the numbers this year and he's ha- he's turned into a pull-up shooter because teams are taking everything away. The team are giving Terry the ball, the shot clock on his back. I mean, he's averaging two and a half more field goal attempts from on pull-ups per game. And from that, like his field goal percentage has dropped by 10%, both from the field for two point percentage and from three on his pull-ups. So his pull-up shot has just been a real struggle. Um, again, his numbers everywhere, restricted, non-paint twos have all dropped. But this is the big thing. His threes, last year, he attempted five above break threes per game. Chase, this year he's attempting 1.7. He's just not getting like the little go screen where he used to kind of come and fake set screen for Lamelo, flare out and hit. You'd get two of those a game. And I don't know if other teams have scouted it and have just taken it away, but he is not getting above the break threes. And I think part of this is because this numbers takes into account a large part of the season where teams are just loading up on Terry. But they have to find a way to get him to take more threes and less pull-up shots, and less attacking the rim, which I know Clifford wants paint touches, but it's just not his strength, and, and we know that by now. Um, you know, we, we absolutely have to get Terry's ear hitting more threes. I mean, from the corners this year, he's 28% from three. Last year, he was 41. So, he, but again, his, his attempts are down because just the play style he's had. So he's having to bend back into this new play, which should be easier, right? Because it's just bending back into last year, and it should be him having to do less because Lamelo's doing more, but he's missed some some shots that the Terry from the last two or three years 
you just so used to seeing him seeing him hit those and he does go on these runs he, he had a barren spell and like kind of towards the start of last year and he went on the run i hope he does that because if he doesn't i mean it's going to be I, I don't know what the future is again with lamello terry's here backcourt again we're just talking about offense here defensively it's a mess as well we we know that but if if they're not going to be plus offense backcourt then then what's the future yeah, that was kind of the same question. I went right to the defensive fit. The shooting, I think, is obviously a huge struggle, and that's why I, I think that in the for this season, that's more of a worry for me. Um, but I think in the long term, like at least for next season, if not the years after that when he's signed to this extension, um, you really just have to question whether or not you can pair him and LaMelo in big-time minutes in any mm-hmm. way at all. Like Because if he's not going to shoot like at the elite volume that he were that with the elite efficiency at the volume that he was at the last couple of years, the offensive like potency that you get from the two of them is basically like nothing because like you said, that's not Terry's strength to get rim touches is not really LaMelo's strength quite yet either. It could be in a couple of years because he has shown some flashes and, you know, getting to the rim and stuff like that. And he's a good ball handler, but Right now, you need in this NBA, like one, if not both of your guards to be able to get into the paint pretty much whenever they want to be like a very successful, like postseason level offense. The Hornets have nobody that can do that right now. So the Terry would need to be like an elite defender to make up for that uh, while not being like also an elite shooter. And obviously he's not an elite defender. You can't really expect him to be one because he's only six foot one anyway. Uh, so that that's where the the trouble really lies for me and not that that wasn't like kind of a concern anyway like prior to this year but at least before that the last two years we had extremely like large sample sizes of him being like one of the best shooters in the league now we have you know what has also been a pretty large sample size at this point through 21 28 games he's played 1001 total minutes his effective field goal percentage of 45.9 is in the fifth percentile among all guards in the NBA per cleaning the glass. So pretty much one of the least efficient scores in the NBA while being a six, one yeah. uh, defender who's only like real strength is defending other six, one players on ball. So it's, it's been, it's been a really rough go for Terry and it, it's, it's unfortunate because he did earn that contract extension. Like there's no, he played extremely well for many years in a row. Uh, so it's, it's unfortunate that uh, he's gone through such a lengthy slump and I have, I have a follow-up question do you think it's a slump or do you think it's like a regression also um do i think it's a slump progression um i i do think it's a slump i i think he's tired and worn out and i think he's him and the, some of the other team are probably letting go of the rope a little bit about what the season means and a little bit of confidence is down so i, I actually think it's more of a slump the shooting like i know terry rosier is a good three-point shooter um, if if things are rimming out that he would normally make, I think that's more a fact of just like the environment of the season. I, I have confidence the shooting will come back. Like like you say, it's the ball stopping, it's the play style. Uh, I'm worried Steve Clifford isn't utilizing him quite right. You know, we want him more off ball. Uh, I don't like the Terry's ear ball handler minutes. Like he's played Lamelo off ball a bit in the kind of last couple of weeks, which I actually think LaMelo off ball is good. I like that because he's such a great shooter. I like how you can leverage him a little bit like the Warriors use Steph Curry because he's got such unlimited like unlimited range. But whenever Terry's here to just the ball, just everything slows down. The ball stops moving. And I just don't think Terry's here is the, the right fit next to LaMelo for, for that reason and defensively. The shooting, if you're to shoot at the same level, I think he's still worth the contract, but but just not for a team with the the kind of setup, the makeup that we do. I mean, he's like a he'd be a great sixth man. That would be a good role for Terry, I think. But with the defense, the ball stopping, the play style, those are things that concern me. Not the wide open threes he's missing, because that is something that we we've got enough data and record here, I think, in Charlotte to know that you know even if he has a down year and this lasts all season, I'd have confidence he would bounce back next year and be. Maybe not quite to the same level he was historically, but a a a very much a plus movement off ball shooter, which is what he what's his strengths are, and that's just not what we've seen so far this year. 
Um, okay, Gordon Hayward, Terry's here. That's done. Mark Williams, on a more positive note. Yes, much more positive note. Uh, we've, we've been waiting for this. I'm waiting for Mark Williams to play. And the Nick Williams ankle, ankles, Nick Williams, the Nick Richards <laughs> ankle sprain gave him his opportunity. And he's already basically pushed Nick Richards out the rotation, which is pretty incredible. So in five games, he's averaging 17 minutes, nine points, seven and a half rebounds, one assist, one block, only two personal fouls, which is quite interesting, quite low for a, a rookie big. Um, he's shooting 68% from the field, 73% from the free throw line. And just generally... That's just looked spectacular. Um, I mean, I've been... i He's not doing anything he didn't do. I'm surprised by what he's done. But his game has just translated really well. And what's probably impressed me most is like his pick and roll defense, like against some of the elite athletes, like getting down in the stance, poking balls away, like forcing tough passes, using his length. Um, and he's not got like bullied physically too much inside yet. It's been a little bit player dependent like because of who he's been guarding um but generally i've been i'd say i think i tweeted this out the, the night that he had uh the big game what did he have 17 points 13 rebounds two assists two seals two blocks the best rookie game from a hornet since lamelli ball's rookie season um and i'd say he's looked better than frank kaminsky did as a rookie at any point as he looked better than Cody Zeller did as a rookie at any point. Um, his starting baseline of play right now has got me very excited for what he could be. This is easily, like, by a country mile, the most exciting and the most positive, the best thing that has happened to the Charlotte Hornets this season. I don't care if it's yep. a small sample size. Like, these, what, is it five games now? Five games. This has been by far the most fun that it has been to watch the Hornets this year. And I don't care what the win-loss result. I think they've only won one of those games. I think they only beat the Thunder in that time. Watching Mark Williams has been awesome. He is better at virtually everything than people thought he was coming into the NBA. And especially to me, the areas that were like crucial, uh, like swing points for his NBA translation. He has imposing size, great hands. Uh, he's a really good finisher around the rim. And what's most impressive to me is the mobility. He's already answered that. Like, that he is mobile enough to defend at yeah. least at a higher level away from the paint than anyone thought he was going to be able to. Like, that play or sequence where he defended LeBron in space and good contest, forced a miss, sprinted down the court, posted up on him, and then got hacked and went to the line. Like... That's ridiculous. Like the the, the type of he, he did that to LeBron. Like that's not it's not like he just went out and posted up like some random guy. Like he has the confidence, he has the ability. Uh, he's a way more mobile and athletic player than it seemed like he was uh, at Duke. If there's any improvement in his like processing as a passer and his decision making, or him as a floor spacer, like he his career trajectory might really change like if he gets better at either of those two things i think or as like a ball hit anything if he adds some sort of like ancillary offensive skill outside of just being like a rim finisher rim roller pick and roll guy like it's going to be pretty dangerous with what he can do on the defensive end the confidence you mentioned the confidence that's one thing yeah, that's it's, it's a he, crazy yeah he plays awesome. like he's been in the nba for three seasons <laughs> mm -hmm. like you look at kai jones play minutes and he's now into his second season and you go, oh, that's a rookie mistake. Oh, like Kai Jones. Mark Williams just doesn't make those same mistakes. He's so locked in on the game plan. Like he's communicating so well for a rookie. And you, you talk about him being like a rim finisher. Like we've even seen some post footwork, yeah. hook, fadeaway things, which like, you know, the guy, other guy, you think, oh, he's, he's blocked him off and he's got good position. And Mark Williams is so big and long. He's just like, faded away and been able to finish. Um, he's been able to score on switches and they, they look from inside. I, I wish they looked from a little bit more because that's what he's great at. He gets a switch and he goes straight to the post and he establishes really good position. And I want the team to, to be confident enough to, 
to throw it in there. Um, I, I agree with you. The single best thing from the season, and yes, Bryce McGowan's has flashed and looked nice. Yes, Dennis Smith Jr. has been a great story, and Teo Maladon has shown some things. But, I mean, yeah, everyone's going early in the season. Jalen Duran, you know, he's so much better than Mark Williams. How did they do that? I still hated that. I still hated that trade from a value perspective. But the key thing was always going to be, well, who's better long-term, Mark Williams and Jalen Duran? And people were just writing off, well, he's in the G League. He must be terrible. No, it is purely situation. And now Mark is getting the opportunity. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, Steve Clifford is basically saying next year, he's basically going to give him the green light to shoot threes, which is, again, super interesting. Like, he'd be able to stretch the floor and roll to the rim, someone with that size, length, physicality. Some of the rebounds he's grabbed have been super impressive as well. Um, yeah, he's playing to his strengths. He's not doing anything like unbelievable, but he's like he made that one nice short roll pass to PJ Washington for the dunk. I don't know if you remember that one. I think that was against OKC. That was like a nice little short, short kind of short roll situation, and he found PJ on the cut. Um, he's just looking more and more confident out there, and he's done it against small lineups against OKC where they played small, and he had the the really big game. But he's also done it against like sort of, you know Looney and. Uh, Draymond Green, and then he did it against Brooklyn as well, with like guys like Nick Claxton, and did it against the Lakers against Thomas Bryant. So he's done it against like a mixed variety of bigs. The guy who did give him some trouble was uh, Yusuf Nurkic, if you remember his first game, when Nurkic was just like, I mean, he's probably one of the top five strongest players in the NBA, and he did a fair fouls in that game. And that's where, like, I think you might still struggle to get some big Mark Williams minutes because Embiid. Jokic, Nurkic, um, all these big guys, you know, thick body guys, that's where he's going to struggle. But I'm really happy to see Mark getting the opportunity. He's he's a silent assassin. He doesn't talk much. He doesn't, you know, dress to impress. He just turns up and just looks exceedingly comfortable. And um, I'm just, I'm really happy to get to see it. And I, I can't, well, like, that's the thing that I was waiting for. Last night, was just, I was just waiting until Mark Williams comes back in the game. <laughs> That's basically what I'm waiting for most, most Hornets games right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought up the G League in there because that was something that I wanted to talk about too. To me, this is a prime example of how the G League assignments can be beneficial for a player, but also like mutually beneficial for the player and the organization. Mm-hmm. The Hornets brought Mark along semi-slowly. I mean, because it's only halfway through the season and he's already, you know, getting the backup center role and it seems like it's his to lose at this point. But he was brought along somewhat slowly, didn't even really play at all at the beginning of the year. He was funneled touches and opportunity whenever he was with the Swarm. Whenever he was healthy, he sprained his ankle uh, at one point. But whenever he was healthy, pretty much, he was getting consistent minutes with them, dominated the G League building confidence. And that was while Nick Richards settled into an NBA role early season for pretty much the first time in his career. Now, Nick Richards got hurt. Mark is fully healthy. He's built the confidence. He's ready for his shot. And the coaching staff knows that they can rely on Nick Richards when he comes back and now is back, and he hasn't even been in the rotation. Right now, the center position has more depth than it has had in years. And it's, it's the least because, of Charlotte's problems. <laughs> it's by far the least of their problems. Like, Which is a worrying thing. Before we even get to Kai Jones who is still a project and the fact Mm. that PJ Washington can be a small ball five in certain matchups. Like they have every way to fill out a lineup with a center right now. And it's because like people have, you know, kind of fallen off of this train because the 2021 draft picks haven't really came to fruition yet. But like this team does know what they're doing when they're developing players. They, they know how to bring them along uh, it, it has worked so far for, you know, not more often than not, but often enough to where you can be, hold some amount of trust in them that their plan is going to work. Because obviously what they did with Mark, even though a lot of fans probably didn't agree with it and would have just started him right out of the gate and, you know, told Mason Plumley to sit at home on his couch and watch the games or something like that. Obviously this, this worked like exactly how they did it worked perfectly fine so you know this is the we got to just let things pan out for a while and I'm, I'm glad that he's getting to prove the uh the doubters wrong and the, the Jalen Duran over Mark Williams debate you know 
is it it's not uh settled already after four months surprisingly absolutely not settled i no. you know I, I still have durin just due to the upside I oh yeah board and i stand by that but they're they're wait. likely to both be good i think is exactly. what, what, agree, is what the, the scenario is going to be i think to play devil's advocate what some people would say is well mark williams could have done this like you said from the start like why i've been waiting for game 34 before we put mark williams in the rotation when this is the level of play he could bring and to that i say is to think that just like a rookie who's never played in the NBA, has never played the NBA system, doesn't know the, the scheme and everything like that, could just come in from day one and play at this level. There are very, very, very few people. And that like, Mark wanted to go to Greensboro. He worked on his game. And like you said, it's been the perfect match where he has been willing and open to do it. Um, the team have used him in the right way. He's gained confidence. He understands the defensive schemes. So now when he comes in, he's in a position where he can succeed. And by succeeding, you gain confidence. Your teammates know that you've earned the right to play and you get the respect uh, from your teammates. So again, I, I completely agree with you. I think the way they've handled it is right. Um, if it was last season and, uh, you know, Nick Richards hadn't shown, yeah, maybe you do put Mark Williams in there. But like you had guys, Mason Plumley having a basic career career year at age 30 or 31 or whatever it is. You've got Nick Richards having a career year. You didn't need to rush Mark Williams in there in a situation where remember the start of the season, they were missing so many players. And you needed like Nick Mason Plumley, you needed his creation. Nick Richards was almost a veteran at times because he's a third-year player and some of the young lineups they're putting out there. So putting him out there in the middle of that kind of like crisis zone of where there's limited creation, you would have been putting him in a position to fail. And that's how a lot of these guys, these lottery picks do struggle is when they get put in poor positions to succeed. And what they've done is they, they've waited until the right time. So I'm happy for Mark. I'm happy that the, the coaching staff have, you know, they can take this, I think, as a little bit of a win. And I, again, I just disagree that he could have been logging minutes from day one. And who knows? He loses confidence. He loses a spot in the rotation. He then gets relegated to the G League. That looks a lot worse than building it slowly from the up and and kind of hitting different thresholds uh, on the way up to a, to reaching that minimal level. I completely agree with you. I got one question for you to round out this Mark Williams discussion. So obviously... Mason Plumlee is going to be in the rotation until Mitch Kupchak trades him because uh, Cliff is not going to remove him on his own accord. I don't. Well, think. when he's the second best player, then you don't have a choice. Yeah, right? no, that, that's <laughs> and that's true. Right now, you really can't. Uh, the, the eighteen and fourteen that he put up, it's tough to pull a guy out uh, after that. But I mean, he he yeah, he has looked pretty good lately. So and cre- credit to him because uh, that's another. That was a joke, the... by the way, for people thinking I'm being serious. <laughs> like, yeah, but that's it's in, good. It's good to last, clarify. You in the last three games, he actually arguably has been after Lamelo in the Brooklyn game, the Lakers game. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it was a joke, just to clarify, people. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, but I mean, I don't think he's going to get taken out of the rotation unless he's traded. So, what does this do for Nick Richards and Kai Jones? Like, Kai can go to Greensboro. But what about Nick? Because if Mark keeps this up, there's there's just not room for all of them to play. So uh, like, what 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 happens there? Like, I genuinely don't know the answer to that. Like, I th- I thought about it for a while. I have no idea. Like, do you consider moving Nick Richards right now? Like, I don't I don't think I would. But is that a possibility? Like, based off of the first half performance. Um, I mean, it's always a possibility. He yeah, is, I guess that's true. You got to consider everything. An expiring contract is, I'm trying to remember, is Nick unrestricted or restricted free agent? Uh, I would believe he would be a restricted free agent. I'll look it up right now uh, and clarify Um, what we're talking about. I mean, the the answer is I think Mason probably gets traded. Right, if I'm being honest. I think that's the answer. Um, Before then, um, for Kai Jones, I'm not worried. Like, I still like Kai as a long-term project. Um, I like, you don't need to worry about filling out a backup depth five for the next two seasons because you've got Kai Jones there who is, you know, a break glass in case of emergency. And I like that he is making strides. He's making improvements. He can play some power forward as well, maybe some center we've seen. So uh, Kai, I'd like. i be happy with him just getting more minutes in Greensboro. 
you know, maybe getting some opportunity down the stretch, depending on other trades that may or may not happen. Um, I think maybe they might kind of rest Mason Plumley every now and then, like on back-to-backs or something of that nature. You know, Mason is 32 years old. Um, maybe they start to go down that route to find ways to kind of force feed minutes. And maybe like they just go a little bit matchup dependent, right? So if you're playing uh, Embiid or you're playing, I don't know, some bigger guy that you, you play Nick Richards because he's a little bit stronger. He's got some more experience playing against some of those guys, bigger bodies. Um, so maybe you go matchup time, but I, I don't know. I I don't think like Twin Towers works with Mark and Nick unless you want to get like, unless you want to experiment with the Mark Williams three-point shooting now. I guess yeah. you could do that with yeah. him playing some four, but... I think you'd be getting really wacky if, if we got to that. That stage, that but. would be tough. Uh, uh, defensively, I think you'd be onto something because Mark seems like he could guard fours right now. Offensively, their offensive rating might be like eighty-seven <laughs> per one uh, per one hundred. But I mean, defensively, that would probably work. Honestly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the answer ultimately is Mason's moved. But before then, I have no idea. But Clifford said it in his pregame the other night that he wants to find a way, yeah. and I'm fascinated to see how he chooses to do that. That'll definitely be something to watch here, but hopefully we just get to keep watching Mark Williams come out and push people around that are much older than him and much smaller than him. And it's awesome. I agree. And I'm looking for like that. Like I say, that's the the big, one of the big enjoyments right now is watching Mark Williams play basketball. And we're going to get to watch some more basketball in upcoming games against Memphis, the Bucks, back-to-back against the Raptors, back-to-back against the Celtics coming up. Not many wins there. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, like, this Christmas and New Year period was hard to watch. If I'm being really honest, I'm a little relieved because I was worried after, like, the first two games of that West Coast road trip, I think they won the two out of three, didn't they? They got some guys back healthy. Big picture, I still think, like, this team being bottom five is the best thing. And I know some people, especially those who go to games, and I get it, if you've got season tickets, you don't want to go see team losing every week. But but big picture for someone like me who's looking at team building and how to build a playoff caliber team long term. I, you know, the Hornets for me need to continue to have this bottom four record. And uh, I'm, you know, relieved when they have good competitive games and they lose. Um, I'm sorry. I know that'll be unpopular to some. I know it's not a cool thing to say for an NBA reporter. It's more of a, a fan take, but like, I just don't see how you can look at this situation and go, yeah, let's let's push the 30 wins. So depending on that, I think it's been a good Christmas and New Year for the Hornets. And that's how I'm going to look at it. And I think the upcoming schedule is a good schedule for the Hornets. Positive vibes only. That's, that's all we do uh, around these parts. This, this Hornets season has, has turned up a little bit, even though uh, we may not have expected it to or – know how long it'll last necessarily but right now it's 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 not bad it's we're doing we're doing well right now well ish let's go with yeah well ish well yeah that's <laughs> probably more accurate <laughs> yeah all right well let's uh let's leave it there and i will chat to you next week thanks for listening everyone thanks everyone <laughs>